All right, gentlemen, you may be seated. <clears throat> Gives me great pleasure to introduce Mark Souter. Uh, many of you know his son, Andrew. Andrew spent some time with us uh, during uh, Oregon Family Camp. It was a, really a blessing to have him. Really a, a fine young man. And the interesting thing is, is that, you know, when you got your oldest really locked in, it says an awful lot. The devil goes after the oldest. I've come to realize the devil targets the oldest. That's weird. I mean, and we know the devil tries to get missile lock on the, the, the husband. You get a headshot on the husband, you take the whole family out. And of course, you take get a heart shot with the, the woman and you take the family out. But the devil also goes, goes for the oldest. And uh, man, Andrew is just an excellent, excellent young man. Uh, real quiet at first, but once you get to know him, he opens up a little bit. And man, there's this really solid man that really, young man, that has a real mind for Christ. Then I get to meet his dad. And man, I just enjoyed time back in Roanoke. You know, I was hanging out with Sue an awful lot, but uh, there was a time when, he, when uh, Mark came over in the evening. We got to talking off a lot, talked about his father-in-law, and uh, just some challenges. Are we talking about it again uh, today? And man, this, this man has been solid. One of the other things that really moved me about him is that uh, he stood up for being a new creation in an environment where he was actually pretty much run out of a church because he was unwilling to compromise in regards to our call to be men who bear the image of Christ in our character and the uh, leadership in that church. And he was a part of that leadership. Decide, it's time for you to go. This man still is standing for that faith. And many of those people that saw that happen have come back and are working in a relationship with him now. Amen. That's exactly right. This man is a, is a great man of courage. You know, it, it took a lot not to be shaken completely out by something like that. But he stayed the course. He's serving as a part of the leadership there in Roanoke. And they're reworking and establishing the church there. And so uh, I got excited and I wanted to come out and preach. So the church has brought you here, brother. Come on up and give us the message. All right, the fearless Apostle Paul. Hey, man, I love you, brother. Excited. Okay. You know, I uh, I'm super excited to be here this this night. I I realize that, as Joey mentioned as well, you know, back east it's three hours ahead, which puts me finishing about midnight. And if you remember about Apostle Paul preaching about midnight, and this person kind of getting tired, and hopefully nobody's falling out of chairs or windows tonight. Um, hey, listen, I'm really excited. I, I am so encouraged uh, by the messages that you guys have brought already. Uh, first time to Oregon, never been uh, in this part of the country. I've been kind of north uh, of here to Seattle, Washington, and south of here, parts of California, uh, but never to Oregon. Uh, and, you know, it's just a beautiful state. There, there's a lot to offer here. There's there, there's so many things going on. Just God's creation is all, just beautiful all over the place. And, and I'm so grateful for Bill and Pleasant Hill, uh, you guys, Church of Christ here, bring, bringing me out and bringing Joey out. You know, it's uh, we're all on a journey, right? We're all on this journey together following Christ and trying to do the best thing that we read in Scripture 
and applying it to our lives and to live that out to honor Him. And you know, we want, and our goal is to conform our lives, our character, uh, to that of Christ. And we hope that we can bring as many along with us, right? I, I got to tell you, of all the camps I've ever been to, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I, I feel the most secure here because of all the law enforcement representatives. Man, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm stoked about that. But I'm, also, but I'm also humbled about that. And I mean that, guys, sincerely. You guys really do lay it out. And, man, every time I ever see a cop or a law enforcement officer out in anywhere, I go out of my way to make sure that I show them my appreciation. Because I know through talking to them, through experiencing the, the challenges out there in the world, that, man, they are laying it out there. I'm so appreciative of you guys. really am. You know, we live in a fallen world. And there's challenges all around us. Uh, I was given the topic tonight, the fearless Apostle Paul. Man, what a guy. I can't wait to talk, talk, talk to you about him in just here in a few minutes. But before I do, I want to tell you a little bit about myself and a little bit about my journey just to kind of give you a context, kind of where I'm coming from. Uh, man, I have a melting pot kind of church experience. I don't know. Uh, I've gotten to know some of you all, but I don't know all your stories and everything. And um, I kind of started out as a young child being kind of baptized or rather uh, brought up into the Methodist church. I was raised in a Baptist church. Uh, my high school years, I was part of a Wesleyan church. Uh, when I went up, went off of the Air Force for four years, uh, I joined the uh, Church of Christ. Uh, got out and joined the Christian church. Uh, and so I was I was always on this journey, and I appreciate my parents very much, kind of trying to get me into to churches and things, and showing that as that is important. But I'll be honest with you, I'm super confused. I'll be I, I had a, I had a knowledge and a belief that there is a God. But I had really no re resolve in my life. What is truth? What is real? What's what do I? How do I live my life? And I came face to face with some some terrible uh, decisions that I made when I was in the military about the crowds that I was running with, uh, the the parties that were I was a part of, uh, getting you know chastised by the by by the, the the command because of not not being in line and 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 toting the, the line. And, you know, as I'm processing that and regretting that, I so, said, you know, there's got to be more than this. Broken relationships, being a part of that, being just distraught. And I'm asking myself, there's got to be more than this. Is this all there is? I mean, I believe in God, and I've gone to church in times, but there's really no meaning in my life. There's no hope. There's a lot of regret. You know, and as I was experiencing that and on this journey, as I got out after my grandfather passed away, it brought me back home to Roanoke, Virginia. That's where I originally am from. Um, I sat around his, 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 his living room. As, as Sometimes maybe you guys have had experiences before where you're sitting in these situations and people, uh, you're having a moment of reflection. And I'm asking myself, I'm seeing, here's the end of his life. I really care for my grandfather. I was close to my grandfather. Uh, but, you know, I didn't really have a connection with the Lord like I should. And I saw that the joy that some of them were having and talking about his life and that our life is only a vapor. And I said, you know, I, I can't continue in the military. I, I, I just don't find joy there. The immorality that was going on, all the, the fornication that was going on, it was just terrible. It was not helping me uh, find any kind of peace. So I got out. And I got, came back home and joined this Christian church that was pretty active in the area that my brother was, was a part of. Uh, and there was a guy there that really was taking 
at least the best that he knew how to apply scripture and saying, look, you can't just go through the motions. You've got to get it, get serious with it. And I was like, man, you're the first guy I've ever heard really say that. And, and so he really challenged me and challenged some ways. And, and I was listening to that because I was looking, I was searching, I was trying to process things. And about that time I met my now wife um, and we started kind of that journey together. But once we started, once we got married and now we have six children, uh, five boys and a girl. And so I appreciate you having your boys out here. What an example that is of a father. Uh, my oldest is 19. My youngest is six. And that they're, they're all throughout the uh, ages there. My daughter's 17. And she's my lone, my lone girl. So she's got to get through five boys and, and me uh, before she can you know, bring a young man home. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> but the idea there is, you know, we went, we, we went on this journey. We ended up going to Johnson Bible College, my wife and I, in 2003. I didn't know what I wanted to do. All I knew was there were some answers in this scripture here that I wanted to study and apply to my life. I wanted to know God more. And I was, it was pointed out to me that the way to know God is get into his word. And I thought, well, the best place to do that is, is Bible college, right? And so I, I, I went down to Bible college. And, and I learned a lot down there. I appreciate that. I did, I did have a good experience. But I came to see the scripture, to be honest with you, more as a textbook. The facts that you can know, the places that you can go, the... The, the historical context. And while that, that's important, I do appreciate that. But man, there's a lot behind the author of the book that I really missed out on. I, I, took, I took away from that and, and got into ministry down in Knoxville, Tennessee uh, for about three years. And I'll tell, tell you more about that later, but I, I end up uh, having to leave that, that congregation because of some, some challenges, some real challenges there. Uh, it almost ended my being done with church completely in, in, in many ways because I was just distraught about some of the things that was going on down there. And I ended up taking a, a position of family and youth ministry in Roanoke, Virginia, my hometown. Uh, I was a little hesitant about that because, you know, I, I knew the terrain well and I thought I don't really want to go back there and just kind of uh, get into ministry. But I went there and I got a part of this congregation and I was there for about uh, about 15 years on staff. But about midway on my time there, I met a guy named Sue Nguyen, and we started studying. And I'll be honest with you, he showed me some things in the Scripture that I had always had answers or questions to. And I was like, man, I'm not, I'm not quite sure how to make sense of this idea that we can't help it, right? Romans 7 says we can't help it because, hey, this, the sin I ought to do, you know, I, I can't help. I, I do it anyway. And that's what we always have, at least I held in my life for a long time. I just couldn't help it. And, you know, there's a decision that you have to come to and recognize that sin is a choice. It's not something that you can't help. It's a choice. As I started processing these things and started to work with some of the leadership uh, there, and, 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 you know, even my own life, man, I'll be honest with you, I started examining, re-examining my own relationship with the Lord. Am I really saved? Am I really, do I really have this thing Right. Because as I'm reading scripture, I'm not quite sure if I did it for the right reasons. Now, I'll tell you, though, one of the hardest things to do is be honest with yourself. Let's be real for just a second. It's easy to put on a show for people. It really is. But when, you, when it's you in, in, in front of that mirror, and you know yourself better than anybody else except God, and you're looking at the reflection of who you really are, what do you do with that? Say, so do, I, do I continue on? And, and put on a good show, or do I honestly examine or reevaluate my life? And as I was doing that, I came to find out, you know, I'm not sure. 
I'm not sure. So what, what do you do when you're not sure? You seek out the answer and say, I got to get right. You got to know, right? I got to know. Yep. And so 2015, I said, Sue, you know what? Let's do, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure. So I'm going to be confident. I'm going to get immersed. I'd already been immersed in the team, but I wasn't quite sure. I'm already in ministry. And now I'm asking Sue to, on staff to go, you know, go ahead and immerse me. I wasn't sure how that was going to go with some of the leadership and the elders, you know, I mean, here I am in ministry and I'm going to be uh, getting baptized again. And I went and talked to them and I appreciate those guys. They said, you know, if you're convicted to do that, you know, we support that. And I, I said, man, I really appreciate that. I, I love those guys for that. But, you know, as things kind of go on, as I started to process the new creation concept and, you know, God doesn't want us to play around with sin. Man, I realized, you know, myself and the church were just really kind of going a different direction, specifically the leadership. I, I love the people there. I'm, I really still do. And I love the le- people that were in leadership. But I really felt that we were going in different directions and realizing that we can't just continue to go through the motions. And, you know, when I look at the Apostle Paul's life, that guy was driven. He was driven. So we're going to start off, before we get there, go and turn to uh, the Luke chapter 12. I want to share some scripture with you, and I've got a lot of scripture I want to share with you, because I think it's important that we go to God's Word and let that be our guide, and simply let that be the direction that we find ourselves so we can move in the right direction. Luke chapter 12. This is Jesus speaking here. Verse 4. He says, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I warn you, uh, I warn you to fear, fear the one who after has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And he goes, are, are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet none of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Jesus is reminding us here of right priorities. We're, we can fear man, but you know, in the end, it's not really going to matter. Right. We need to fear the Lord because the Lord is the one we need to be pleasing because he, in the end, is going to decide who gets in and who gets out based upon the decisions that were made in this life. You know, when I think about that, I think the Lord is so gracious to us. He's so loving to us, not wanting anyone to perish, not wanting anyone to fall. And when I think about that, man, what God did for us on the cross, what God continues to do daily in our lives with the Spirit trying to encourage us to grow in the Lord, I'm so reminded and so thankful for that. You know, here, here we are, each of us here tonight, by our own decisions. Coming out from, from the East Coast, uh, from coming up from North, coming from just maybe even down the road, gathering here on a Friday night. Man, there's lots of things we could be doing. But, but the fact that we will all come out here and say, you know, I want to learn more about God. I want to encourage these other guys. I want to get to know you guys. And I'm so encouraged by all the messages that have been laid out this weekend. Man, great job for planning this weekend. Great job for sharing. I am really, really encouraged. Knocking it out of the park. You guys have just been doing such a great job. And when we think about this guy, Paul, man, he we the first time that we have introduction of Paul, where do we find him? We find him at the feet of Stephen with the lobes, uh, robes being laid at his feet and the guys are heaving rocks. You know, I thought about picking up a little pebble over there and bringing that up and say, you know, is this exactly what was probably thrown at Stephen? 
or something more like this rock here. If I take that up, I'm sure that whole flag would fall over. But but think about this. This was not a, just a real passing event. This would have been a devastating, horrendous event. What a terrible way to die. To watch somebody. It's not instant, by the way. It's, it's rock after painful rock, yeah. after painful rock, yeah. after agony, after screams probably, or just, Argh! you know, when I read that story of Stephen, you know one thing I do not see at all? I don't see him going, stop! No more! That last one hurt. I don't see that. What do we see? We see him enduring it. And he looks up and he says, you know, there's Christ. I see him standing. I see a man there that is, is driven by not worried about what man thinks because he wants to please his Lord in the midst of persecution. And yet Paul, or Saul in this case, is standing there and given his permission, and not only that, his blessing to kill this guy. We know, Acts, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. One of the first things it says there, it says in Acts chapter 8 verse 1, it says, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him, Stephen, to death. And on that day, a great persecution began to arise against the church in Jerusalem. Verse 3, he was dragging off men and women. Can you see this in your mind? Knocking on doors, knocking in doors. And these aren't violent criminals. I'm so thankful that we have law enforcement that can do that. But these, in this case, were not violent criminals. These were probably families praying together. Probably families thinking about what Jesus had just taught them or the disciples that come and talk to them. And they're dragging the men and the women separating these families. And Paul is leading that charge. Or Saul, excuse me. By the way, Saul is really his Hebrew name. It means... Uh, prayed for, asked for, you know, something, a name that the parents would have given you. You know what Paul means, by the way? Little. I, th I think it's really interesting. It's not that he has, uh, all of a sudden he was Saul before he was a Christian and then Paul afterwards. It's really his his Jewish name and his Hellenistic uh, Greek name. It was just different emphasis of when it was used. But by the way, it's I find it very fascinating that in Paul, as a Christian, he says, call me Paul, Little. Make much of Christ, I must decrease. I don't know if that's exactly why or not, but I do find that interesting that Saul continued after he became a Christian was mostly known as Paul. But look at Acts chapter 9, verse 1. It says, Saul, still breathing murderous threats against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. What kind of hatred? has to take over a man who wants to harm other people. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of hatred that somebody is sick in the mind or evil in their hearts, but I want you to think about that. What kind of, what kind of resolve did he have to get to to be able to want to take out these disciples? I mean, you have to believe in your cause and believe that you're right no matter what, what, the, what, what is going to happen. You've got to believe that, you know what, they're wrong and I'm right and I don't care what I have to do to take them out. I'm going to do the right thing. But you know the story. Just a little bit later, as it's been brought out, and I, man, I tell you what, it seems like there's been a thread of all the messages this weekend of, of working through and trying to emphasize all this idea that God wants men who fear Him and do not fear the people. Saul hated the disciples. You ever thought about that for just a second? 
He hated the disciples. I mean, what, what, what was the driving factor for that? I mean, what, what, was, what was identifying? Why, why did he so much hate the disciples? By the way, when he went to Damascus, when he was on the road to Damascus, you know that was 185 miles away from Jerusalem? He wasn't just going to the area around, as if I was maybe hike five miles down the road. It's like, there's disciples up there, I want to get them too. He was resolved in eliminating the people of the way. And you know what, that's, that's a sad situation, because at the same time, he, and in his own mind, he thought he was right. But God got his attention, right? He struck him blind on the road to Damascus. What would go through his mind, I wonder, when this blinding light shone in the sky? Instantly he went blind, or we, or we believe. You know, here he is persevering, or excuse me, persecuting the people of the light, and yet by light is what takes his own vision and makes him blind. The things that he saw in his own eyes that he thought that were true instantly were gone. I believe in this time, we don't know what Scripture says, but I believe instantly in this time that when he was thinking about this and he was blind for three days, I think God brought back the memories of the people that he persecuted. You know, Saul doesn't know the end of this story like you and I do. He doesn't know that there's a guy named Ananias coming. He's blind. For a long time, at least in his own mind. He had a lot of time to reflect. He had a lot of time to think about, you know, what, what is God trying to get my attention to? He might have think this is the new way. And, you know, when we think about that, you know, we know that in three days he was meant to not only be baptized, but also to regain his sight. And it says he went away for, to Arabia for like three years. I, I find it very interesting. Once he got baptized, before he did that, look, skip down to uh, chapter 9 of Acts, verse 26. This verse says, when he, Paul, came to Jerusalem, he, tr- he tried to associate with the d- disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. Can you see this played out? Uh, Paul's like, man, I, I got to hang out with the disciples now. And they're like, there ain't no way we're letting him in our house. I don't trust him. Do you trust him? I don't trust him. But guys, that by the way, that says a lot about us nowadays. How do we earn people's trust? It's not just saying, hey, I'm a disciple. I'm here. I love Jesus too. I don't believe him. How do, you, how do we know people are true? It's the character. It's the, it's the fruit of their life, right? It's, it's proven through their character and through their dedication. And so Paul initially didn't get to connect with the disciples like he wanted to. So there was a season, and it says that he kind of went up for three years to Arabia and maybe receive direct instruction from the from the Lord. I don't know. But with this idea of exactly what was communicated to him, you know, we can be reminded that when he got the complete understanding, man, he was resolved, wasn't he? He was resolved to share the truth. But I go back to think about what what made Saul, as he was a disciple, or excuse me, as, a, as he was a Jewish before he had this conversion, what made him so driven? You ever thought about that? We know that he, he was a person of renown uh, in, in the, the word. He, uh, he, he was trained by Gamaliel. 
who was, was one of the primary Jewish leaders. And he was trained in the best of the best. He says, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was zealous for the law. He said, he, in, in light of that, keeping it, he was blameless, he said. But what made him so driven? I often think about it, we don't quite know outside of his passion for the Lord, at least in his own mind at that time. But I often have to think back to even what Joey mentioned earlier. When Remember when Gamaliel pointed out, if this is of God, you're fighting a worthless fight. Remember Nicodemus? Nicodemus was, was Nick at night and kind of visiting Jesus and all of a sudden saying, hey, Jesus, I'm kind of interested in what you have to say. And all of a sudden, uh, we find Nicodemus later on uh, at the foot of the cross taking with Joseph of Arimathea to Jesus to the tomb. Man, there was a great respect there. I often think that Acts chapter 7 at the foot of Stephen was not maybe the first place that Paul officially appears in the story. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm hypothesizing. But the idea there is he was a part of some sort of Jewish synagogue or, or leadership of the council. He said, I cast my vote for the, the Christians to be destroyed. Maybe, just maybe, he was back there and saw Gamaliel considering the faith. Or maybe he saw Nicodemus, who he really respected, say, wait a minute, I've got to stop this. But you know, God got, whatever the case is, we know that God got his attention. I'm so thankful that Paul did not choose to resist that. You know, God gets our attention sometimes in the most difficult situations or maybe some, sometimes just the everyday, normal day life. How we respond in those things says a lot about what we are making a priority in our lives. Do we stand for truth? Do we seek truth as a treasure hidden in a field? Or is it something that we just say, I don't have time for this. I'm just too busy. I don't really want to know the truth. And frankly, I don't want to be convicted by the truth. I know men like that. I've known grown men who have lots of degrees and, and initials after their name that could really care less about maturing in Christ. Right. How do I know that? They told me. And I said, wait a minute. We read Paul. We read him as zealous for the law and his conversion to Christ and his desire to die to self. He tells us, shall we continue in sin that grace may increase in Romans 6, or excuse me, Romans 6 1. By, the, by no means. Right? You cannot continue and sin that grace may increase. God told me, yes, you can. Matter of fact, we must. He told me that, you know what? We have a body that we cannot control. As a matter of fact, we have urges that we can't control. So therefore, that's why God gives us grace. Man, that broke my heart because I don't see that in Scripture. It's a, to me, it sounds like a divine conspiracy that God gave us a body that we can't control and now holds us accountable to what our actions are. It do, that doesn't make any sense to me. You know, when I think about that, you know, Paul was a man of integrity, was a man who was seeking the truth. Uh, let's go ahead and look at a couple things real quick. I'm gonna, I want you to turn with me uh, to 1 Timothy uh, chapter uh, 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. And by the way, I think... Everybody hit at least one of my verses this weekend. That's okay, because we're working through a common thread. Look at this verse here. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Paul's writing here, he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me, because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. 
even though I formerly was a blasphemer and persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly and in belief. And the grace of our Lord was more abundant with the faith and the love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Yet I have found mercy, as the, uh, as that, so that in the, as the foremost of Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him and for eternal life. Now I've heard it also argued that Paul is saying he's the chief of sinners according to this particular text. The chief. He considers himself the chief. By the way, if you look up chief, uh, it, it's like it's the worst. I'm the worst of sinners. Now Paul can't possibly mean that. You know why I believe that? He's, he's looking at history thinking of Nero, right? He's thinking of Nebuchadnezzar. He's thinking of all the, the terrible people that have gone before Judas who just betrayed Jesus. And Paul's saying, I'm the worst. I don't think this is a statement of, of position. I think this is a statement of humility. He considers himself. When he looks back at the, the terrible persecution that he brought out, he goes, man, I feel like I'm the worst guy. But thanks be to Christ that he can make this crap into something worth it. He can make this 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 pile of something into something that's valuable, worthless. I mean, worth worth precious. <laughs> you know, one person opened up a series for four weeks, saying that yeah, that this we're going to build every sermon based upon Paul's the the, the chief of sinners. And and if, if Paul can't do it, how in the world can we do it? Guys, when, when we hear those kind of things, we have to take a stand. When we hear, we, we can't help it, we have to take a stand. I mean, what employer wants to hear an employee say, you know what, man, this cash drawer is full of cash. The good I ought to do, I cannot do. But the very evil is present with me. I got to take some. It just looks too tempting. If you were an employer, you would say, look, I appreciate that, but get out of here. You're fired. Appreciate the honesty, but get out of here. Because we expect integrity, honesty, right? We expect these things. How in the world do we just brush that off? A lot of people in the denomination world say, Paul, yeah, Paul says he can't help it. Man, I, I'm so reminded that, and I'm so encouraged that Paul says, you know what? We should not continue in sin. We should, we should look for a way out. And you know what? The way out is Christ. Uh, turn with me uh, to... Let's see here. I'm going to, it's Romans 12, 1 and 2. This is a verse many of us know really well. When we look at Paul's writing and what he was trying to demonstrate not only to, to the Romans and, and to the, his disciples, Silas and, and Timothy, we can look to Paul's own words to say, how did he live out his life? This fearless man who, who was fearless, fearlessly persecuting the church and then laid his life uh, aside and said, you know what, I'm going to pursue Christ even at my own expense. By the way, he had a cush job. His retirement was set. He was, he was, he, he, he was established, right? He had made it as a Pharisee. And he recognized, you know what, all that is gained in this world, I count for loss, except for Christ. 
his, his worldly pleasures didn't mean anything in light of what his eternity meant with Christ. And he laid it all aside. And by the way, stoned, as you guys know, shipwrecked, beaten with rods. When we see somebody like that or we read about that, you know, any man, when pressure like that, would give out if it's not sincerely considered to that. You know, a man under pressure is who he really is of what comes out of that. Right. And thank God, because if sometimes we are under pressure and something doesn't come out pleasing to the Lord, that in, and we can recognize that, we get opportunity to say, I cannot be like that. I can repent and work on that to honor the Lord. We don't have to stay that way. But the guy who says you can't help it, that's the best hope you can ever have. You know, if you can't really help it, if it, that's all the hope it is, if we're just a wretch and there's no hope for that, why even try? Why even try to overcome alcoholism? Why even try to overcome lustful and, and pornography? Why even try to overcome any kind of addiction? Because if, if we can't, then we give up. But we can. And I'm so thankful for that in Christ. Paul sets that example. He he's constantly sets that example. And he tells the, the, the people in, in Romans chapter 12. He says, Therefore I urge you, verse 1, Brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living and holy sacrifices, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, acceptable, and perfect will. This concept of transformation, we all know this, the transformation of the mind. If we don't do that, we recognize that we're going to set ourselves up for extreme failure. I mentioned back in just a few minutes ago, um, my early ministry when I first came out of Johnson. I was serving in Knoxville, Tennessee. And I was really encouraged by the, the congregation. A lot of love and the honeymoon phase, man, things are great. But as, as things started to unfold, I started to see some problems. And towards the, the end of my time, I end up finding some things out that the Lord revealed that I end up finding the senior minister dealing uh, unfaithfully with his wife with another one in a closet. Now, we have challenges in this life, right? We go through challenges and weaknesses. But what happened next is what was devastating. Yes, that sin is devastating and, and can tear families apart. But the next steps of denial, of the lies that happen after that. And I talked to the elders immediately after this situation. And they said, you need a break to the other guy. And they said, we're going to give you six months of a medical leave. You can still attend, but you've been under a lot of pressure. We're going to give you some time off. And when I saw this, it's like, we're not dealing with the sin here. We're not dealing with the challenges here. Why are we just brushing this off? Why are we not confronting this head on? And so I, had, I talked to the elders and I said, guys, why are we allowing this to happen? we got to address this. And you know, whenever you, sometimes you stand for truth, it's not always popular. Matter of fact, you can become the enemy. And I remember leaving that position, not having really anything officially lined up, and going, you know what, it's okay, because however this is going to work out, I trust God. God's got this. I can't continue in this terrible, toxic situation. I've got to move on. I've had two young kids at the time, a lot of debt, 
But you know what? You got to take a stand. And you know what? God worked it out. He's faithful. He provided another opportunity. And you know, even in that opportunity, and down the road, I realized that there were some challenges there that didn't work out as well. Because you know what? Sometimes just in the establishment of congregation or denominationalism, there are so many traditions and programs that maturity in Christ is often pushed aside. But we, we as fathers, we as men, we have to first eat so that we can then help others eat. You know, I've now taken on, since I've left ministry, kind of lawn mowing and, and landscaping business, trying to provide for my family, and, and it's been very successful. But man, it's hard work. And, you know, uh, often my lawn gets left last. So I'm out cutting everybody's nice, real nice lawn, and my lawn's like, you know, real high because I just haven't had time. And I realize if I don't make time to cut mine, everybody else is going to have this beautiful lawn, and mine's just going to kind of be a hayfield. So I've got, I've made it a priority. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that I'm going to cut mine first and then I'm going to take care of everybody else. Now, listen, in that principle, the idea is I'm advertising the business, right? If there are people, my mowing lawn, and they, this, this guy's mowing lawn, look at his lawn. This is crazy. Guys, it's the same way in Christ. If I don't eat first, I can't, I don't have anything else to feed my, my kids. If, if I, if I don't make sure that I'm ready, I've got nothing to offer. We've got to do the same thing. We got to make sure that we are the ones offering uh, because we have already been filled. And there's too many people who are just simply going through the motions and saying, you know what? Uh, this is the best I've got. But in Christ, man, we've got everything we need for life and godliness. I appreciate that. It's earlier. We are, we have been given part, partakers of the divine nature, you know, the fullness of the spirit. We have no excuse. No excuse. Well, I can't help it. I believed that for a long time. I really believe I, yeah, this is the best I've got. So why really study extra hard? I think I know enough. Man, there's so much more that we have uh, in Christ than, than we, we have everything we need. We have all we need. And a matter of fact, that should motivate us to push harder, to grow harder, and to make sure that we equip the next generation. Uh, go ahead and turn with me uh, to First, First Timothy. You know, as I was going through some challenges at a congregation there, uh, and chapter 6. As I was going through some challenges in the congregation, I was searching the scriptures diligently, saying, God, help me understand what it is you want me to, uh, to, to live out and to communicate. And I came across this scripture that reminded me that it was also very challenging and encouraging. Chapter 6 of 1 Timothy. Verse 1, it says, All who are under the yoke of slaves are, uh, are to regard their masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. Those who have believers as their masters must not be disrespectful to them, because they are brethren, but must serve them all the more, because those who partake of the benefit are believers and are beloved. Teach and preach these principles. Notice verse 3. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness... He is conceited and understands nothing. But he has morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved minds and, and depra deprived of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of to gain. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied with contentment. This idea of doctrine, of conforming to godliness. I'm thinking, what is this? 
this doctrine of conforming to godliness. Turn back one uh, to to First Timothy uh, chapter, uh, or excuse me, excuse, over to Second Timothy. I apologize. Second Timothy chapter three. Second Timothy chapter three. Look at verse five. There's a list of this. Paul is a list of people who are simply uh, disobedient, lovers of money, just evil in every way, lovers of pleasure than rather lovers of God. And here's what it says in verse five. These people who are godless are holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. What power are we talking about here? This, this idea of power of transform, transforming the inner man, transforming the character, transforming a, a life that ha- actually now has meaning and substance. <clears throat> one message I heard one time uh, by Mike Harbour. Many of you all maybe remember him and uh, or knew him well. Um, I appreciate his insight with Paul and Silas. He was talking about the idea of the Philippian uh, jail situation where Paul had just delivered this the, the, the girl possessed by a demon and they were captured and then they were thrown into prison and all of a sudden now they're in these chains and stocks and it, you know they're singing hymns late at night. What we don't have there is Silas elbowing Timothy going, if you would have just shut your mouth and not delivered that girl and we could have been out here preaching. You know, well, look at us now. If, if you wouldn't have said anything, we, we could have been out sharing the Lord, sharing the word of the Lord. They weren't, but the, the idea there, they weren't complaining because, you know what, in all things in Christ Jesus, we're going to honor him. And you know what, even in chains, we're going to honor him. And you know, the story is brought up already that when the chains fell off, they didn't run away. They're, you know what, God's got this. God's got your situation. God's got my situation. As long as we're faithful to him, He's like, you know, as we, as we seek the Lord, as we trust Him with the re- results, it's going to be okay. I'm reminded constantly in Scripture that God calls us up and encourages us to, and equips us to become people of the light, representing Him in a dark, dark world. God wants you and me to have a holy backbone. People for stand for truth, stand for, for righteousness, stand for for love and joy and representing him in the midst of a crooked and perverse, perverse generation. You know, for a long time, I believed and that I could not change certain strongholds in my life. Mental. And really, that's where it all starts, isn't it? It's in our mind. If we don't, if we can't change this mind, then we are not going to change our body. My body doesn't go anywhere. My mind doesn't tell it to. And if we can change our thinking, change, and that's what the scripture, by the way, is all about. The new creation is changing the mindset so that the life will follow. Man, I'm so encouraged by that. How come that's not resounding from the rooftops and all the mountaintops and that message is screened? Why? Because darkness is hostile towards that light and towards that message. And many men run in fear of what others will think. You know, I think Paul had to deal with working through the time that he became a Christian before the time he really started sharing faithfully regularly. I think he had to work through some things. Just like we have to work through some things when we first become a Christian. You know, God is always in the process now of working, helping us work through things to help us mature in Christ, to be the people that he's calling us to. But maybe some of the things that Paul had to deal with, maybe he had to deal with the shame of what he did to the early church. Legitimate shame. You know, how am I going to show up to the disciples who I just killed a couple of their good buddies? 
Imagine that, guys. Imagine showing up and going, man, I care for you guys, but I'm so sorry. And you probably had to work through that. And realizing that, you know, his, his heart was, was, was trying to do the right thing and showed it to him. And it took some time for them to accept him. But when they did, man, they became a team. And I appreciate that because God can take our failures, our faults, and turn them into something good if we're honest about them and we repent about them and say, God, I don't want to be like that anymore. Show me how to honor you. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that God offers each of us that opportunity. You know, and Paul was, was fearless so many times in front of Festus, in front of Caesar, in front of King Agrippa. He shared the message of truth even if it wasn't going to be received well. I can't, and I love the, the battle scene, the two heavyweights, as Steve Doty says, the two heavyweights where Paul and Peter are standing there. And Paul said, Peter, you're wrong. You can't go over here and isolate yourself. Why? Because you know what kind of guts that would have taken? Remember, Paul maybe didn't really consider himself as a heavyweight. Matter of fact, I think we identified a position of humility. It's like, I don't feel like I'm the chief, man. I feel like I'm worthless. But you know, in Christ, we're worth everything. And Paul had to remind himself that. But you know what? It didn't stop Paul from confronting Peter in, in, in an error of his ways. He saw that, that, Peter, that Peter was standing up and, and kind of shunning the Jews or the, and the Christians and, and, and the Gentiles and separating himself. Remember that story. And all of a sudden he said, you can't do that. By the way, if sin is public, we got to call it out publicly. And I mean that in love and grace. I'm not saying we got to use discernment. Let's be careful about that. But if it's, if, it's a, if it's being talked about in a group, we've got to gracefully and lovingly but truthfully say, hey, we can't stand for that. Man, we have a confused generation, don't we? As it brought out, boys and girls, boy, girls and boys, gender neutrality. What? What is, I mean, I, I, gotta, I, I keep it, I realize we have younger people here, and I'm always sensitive to that when I, I speak. But uh, Phil Robertson, from Duck Dynasty, I heard him speak one time, and he shared it really, really well. He goes, you know, all this gender confusion, I got the answer real simple. Here's how we can solve all this right now. Next time you're alone, if you question this, next time you're alone, go into the bathroom. Shut the door. Get ready for a shower. Take your clothes off. Look down. There you go. No questions. We got it all solved. No more problem. No more confusing. There you go. Man, that's not publicly, politically correct, is it? But man, it's so there's so much craziness out there. You know, matter of fact, it's happening in Roanoke. I don't know if it's happening around here, but some of our schools, they have placed litter boxes in the bathroom because some kids think they're cats. What? Where's the parents stand up PTA going, hey, hey, by the way, I know of a neurosurgeon who's not a Christian, but stood up at a PTA meeting back in Roanoke who said, what are we doing here? This is insanity. My kid or your kid is not a cat. We need Christians doing that, but in a loving way and say that we are made in Christ's image. We are male or female. That's how he made us. But it's, we've gotten so scared of sharing what's truth. I think Paul would stand up and share that as well. Because Paul gave us that example. Look at 1 Thessalonians. That's one thing that we've been working through on. Uh, Wednesday nights back in Roanoke on, on some of our home assembly. Uh, actually, Bill brought it out and, and, and just he said, you go back and read First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2. And I'm just going to highlight just some sections here because it appears eight times of Paul appealing to his example. Yes. Yes. 
Look at this, guys. Verse 1, it says, For you yourselves know. A little bit farther down, uh, it says, As you know. Verse 5, For you know. Uh, verse 7, But how we proved to be. Verse 9, For you recall, brethren. Just, verse 11, Just as you know. I know you, some of you all can't see this. But eight times in Scripture, Paul says, Look at my example. I'm not putting on a show here. Look at my example, the way I led, the way I lived, the character that, by the way, by the way, that to me screams authenticity. Well, you can, you, a person can talk a good talk, but man, they can't walk a good walk unless they can actually prove it. You know, there's no way, there's no way that Paul was somebody who was double-minded. Can you imagine that? Timothy and Titus and Silas all walking along with him. And he goes, by the way, turn off the recorder right here. I'm going to go down this street and I've got to take care of some business. Uh, in the red light district, I've got to take care of some business. Turn it off right here and pick it up in just a few hours because i got to go, you know, I can't help it. The sin, it's, it's, it's calling me. There's no way Paul, Silas, Timothy, any of those guys would continue to follow. There's no way I would follow a guy like that. Because he's not a man of integrity. We're looking for men to stand up, who, to be integritous. You know, to people to stand for truth. Yep. And when they do, you know what? It rallies me up. It gets me to say, you know, yes. Because those are the kind of people that we need in our culture. These, these feminine men that almost stand for truth. That just back away when conflict happens. Look, I'm not talking about personalities. We are all made differently. That's okay. But I'm talking about we can all stand courageously even if we're not the main voice, we can say, look, I can't do this. I'm done. I'm out. You know, there's a guy that I reminded, uh, that I met, who had an executive job at Toyota. And his task, all, the boss called him in and said, hey, I got, I got a mission for you. Your job is to now retrain the, the employees to be more tolerant of, uh, of LGBTQ, RSTUV, XYZ, whatever. He said, you need to be more tolerant. And he said, look, I, I can't do that. It goes against my convictions. And he said, you do it or you're, you're out of here. So he thought about it a while and he prayed about it with his wife. He said, hey, look, I'm, I can't do this. And he said, okay, you're gone. And you know, that's a hard thing to do. When your job is on the line, when you're thinking about feeding your family, when you're thinking about, you know, what your wife's going to say, what do you think about your friends are going to say? It's a hard thing to stand for truth. But you know what? God is looking for men who are fearless right. to stand for truth no matter if it costs us everything. Because you know what? Others see that and say, I'm looking to the example that that guy sets. I learned that principle early on from a crazy country dance that I went to, a crazy country concert, way before I was a Christian Way before I was uh, even consi really considering the truth of that, I went to a country concert. Uh, I was big into that. I don't know if that's very popular around here or not, but uh, I was into the line dancing and everything. Yeah, that's, that's kind of how I was for a while. And I, I remember this concert that this famous song came on. There's about 5,000 people there. And this famous song came on there. There was a famous dance that went along with it. And I'm looking around going... How come nobody's doing anything? This is crazy. This is such a famous dance and famous song. He says, I'm doing it. And my friend said, what? I said, I'm going down there and I'm going to start dancing. They're like, no way. 
I said, now, by the way, I would never do that th these days, but, but back then I was crazy. So I was like, I'm going to do it. So I walked down the stage. This is an arena, 5,000 people. Walked down the, 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 the balcony because that's all I could afford back then. Walked down the balcony, walked down to the floor. Didn't get stopped for security. Went to the front and center stage. Stood up. I looked at the singer and I just started doing this crazy dance. Now, by the way, that's insane. I don't know what in the world I was thinking, but I, for whatever reason, <laughs> at that particular time, I thought it would be cool. All right. Ten people joined me instantly up front, just out of the blue. The whole floor of the audience stood up. The whole audience in the auditorium stood up. The atmosphere completely changed. The, the, the artist like tipped his hat because he's like, hey man, you just like changed the whole concert. But what it taught me was not that. What it taught me just one. Just one person standing up. You can get out there and make a fool of yourself and people will foolishly follow you. Or you can stand up and stand up for the truth and people will follow you. But God is looking for the one. Will that be you? Will it be me? It can be. We don't have to be somebody who is the most eloquent speaker or preacher. We can just be having hearts that are pure and say, I want to know you, God. I want to make you known. How do I do this? And he's given us the answer in his word. You know, Paul is the example. Paul set the pace for his, for his guys. You know, he was passionate. Any moment he could have said, I'm done. This, this hurt. You know, I loved it when it says his first encounter, when he was stoned, which would have been heartbreaking for his disciples to see that. It says he got up as he was left for dead. And he went back in. I loved it. It was brought out. Went back in and preached. Yeah. If I was standing around and you were standing around, what would that do for your faith and my faith? Yep. Wow! Did you see that? Young man, did you see that? That's a guy I can follow because he believes in his message. Right. Any other person would be out of there. First rock, I'm out. And then he was he's, he's beaten with rods. Man, I'm telling you. And you know what? The example that we follow is the example of Christ. Paul followed Christ, and that's how he gets his power. Turn to 1 Peter. Turn to 1 Peter. The example was given not because of Paul, but Paul was empowered through the Holy Spirit to follow the example of Christ, and as we are. Look at 1 Timothy, or excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. And man, I'm, I'm rocked at the, at the example of this. I'm encouraged by the example of Christ. It says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, check this, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he offered what? No threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Here we go, check this out. So that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, you and I, we are healed. Man, guys, I, I, I can't, I can't, it's overplayed often and talked about so much, but, but this crucifixion scene and this battle scene, we also have Jesus not complaining. We don't have him saying, stop! Man, what kind of resolve in your mind and my mind do we have to get to the point where we're able to endure that? We have to have our eyes focused on the goal. Right. Developing the character of Christ. Man, I'm telling you guys, 
the stuff that I've seen, the experience, it's devastating. I hate conflict. But you know what? In this world, we're going to face conflict if we stand for truth. If you're not standing for truth, you may not have much conflict. You know, if you're not going after the bad guys and not really causing problems, you're not going to have a lot of conflict from the bad guys. Hey, man, just let me do my thing. Okay, yeah, we're cool. Right? I saw I saw some conflict one time. I thought it was great. There was a game warden, uh, you know, checking some, some guys illegally fishing. But he came up to us. It was some trout season. He came up there and he said, hey, how you guys have any luck? And we looked up at him and said, you know, yeah, we're catching a few. He said, I'm coming down to check the licenses. And I'm like, all right, cool. He, he walked around out of sight. And these good old boys over here started putting their gear away, you know. They climbed up the, they, they closed up the box and they hit it. They flanked right. They went out of there. And as we keep fishing, we're looking around going, where's, where's that game warden? Where'd he go? We never did see him again. Until we packed our stuff and we were hiking back to the, the car. And we found he's talking to these guys. So what he did was he, he covertly, you know, he, he says, hey, I'm going to come inspect. And he went back to the truck. And as these guys made their way back around to the truck, he said, hey, guys, let me see your license. He caught them and, and red-handed. You know, we don't want to be people caught red-handed, right? We want to be people who are doing the right thing. Don't have to worry. Have a, have a clear conscience. Oh, yeah, come on down, man. I'll show you what I've been catching. You know, and if we, if we find ourselves not doing the right thing, we've got to repent of that and say, I don't want to be like that anymore. Why? Because the world is looking to you and me. My boys are looking for me to set the pace. Man, I've had some great conversations because some of the challenges I've gone through and conflict of church conflict with my oldest son and my, my kids. And I'll tell you, my son sees through that and says, I see there's some, some inconsistencies over there. I don't have to tell him that, but I can walk through it with him. And he sees those kind of things. And man, I'm so proud of him because he's owning his faith. And some decisions that he has made recently about standing up against you know, sin and also standing up against people who think they're Christian and they're not. And I'm so proud of him for that. You know, that's all we can do, right? We can't give our kids faith. We can just pass it on what we know to be true and set the example. It's a challenge. But you know, we are able to do it through Christ. Paul it was fearless. He was fearless. You and I can be fearless. But you know, it's going to cost us something. It may cost us friends. It may cost us finances. Man, it may cost us falsely, false accusations. Reputations being smeared. Lies being promoted. <coughs> oh, you got deceived, I see. What? What are you talking about? Man, I tell you, it's hard. I realized something in the last couple of years that I've been focusing too much on my reputation and not worrying about character. You know, there's a big difference in that. You know that? Reputation is what other people think of you. And we want to have a good reputation. We want to be. We want to be known to have a good reputation. But reputation is what others think of us, right or wrong. Character is who we really are. And God knows that to be true or not. And so those are the things. We focus on character, godly character. You know what? We're going to be focused less on reputation. As long as we're doing the right thing. But you know what? I see often that your reputation will go in front of you. The character will show forth in your reputation. And people will say, hey, you know what? I've heard that about you, but I don't believe that. Be people who are good character, no matter the cost. Because you know what? My kids are depending on you. Your kids are depending on you. Your friends, your church members are depending on you. Set the pace. Set the example. Because you know what? We don't have long. I don't know how long we have. We may not make it through the night. There might be a cougar or something coming over the backwoods here to take me out. Man, I hope, I hope these guys are some good shots. I have no doubt that they are. 
you know, over your left shoulder. There he goes. What in the world was that? You know, that'd be some scary stuff. I ain't gonna lie. Come on, way to Oregon and old cougar jump on me. I've been looking over my left shoulder, right shoulder, going, man, you know what? We can't walk by sight. We gotta walk by faith. Otherwise, we'd be in fear all the time. You know, there's people out here running in fear. And by the way, I want to close out with this. You guys have brought it out well. Fighting, fighting lions. First Peter says this. Be sober spirit. Chapter 5 of 1 Peter. Be on alert. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith. That sounds like a suicide mission. God is telling us to turn around and face the enemy. If I hear a roar, my instinct is to go. Roar! All right, Joey, we're out of here, brother. You know, I'm running. You, you all probably beat me out of here, but I'm running. But God calls us, you know, with the, with the, the law enforcement here, I'm actually probably just going to take a couple steps and say, hey, man, take them out. You know, Bill, get that sidearm out. But in Scripture, the roaring lion compared to Satan, he's a roaring lion. Young men, we are called to stand and say, you, you have no part of my life. We're going to fight. Because you know what? We can win. We can win. It's not a crazy mission because God has equipped us and God is equipping each other here to fight the good fight. This goes out in a word of prayer. God, you've given us so much to be thankful for and, and so much to be reminded of in Scripture that you are for us. You're pulling for us. You're, you're hoping that we succeed in developing and maturing our character and our faith because you are wanting all of us to spend an eternity with you. God, this isn't just for now. God, this is so much bigger than we can even imagine. Help us understand, Lord, that the opportunities that we have each and every day are presented right in front of us. Help us be faithful with the opportunity in front of us. Help us make the right decision. And God, if we don't, as Brian said, help punch us in the chest and remind us to repent and change so that we can become vessels that honor you. God, we thank you that you are equipping us. We thank you that you've allowed us to come out here this weekend and encourage one another. Even though it's past midnight in some parts of the world, we're thankful that you are calling us to wherever we are, wherever we're planted, that we can serve and honor you. God, we love you. And I thank you for this camp. I thank you for this place. And God, thank you for going before us and preparing the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Woo!